0: Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your name, Locky at the Athletic Wisconsin, and joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoot.com, Frank Madden. And bringing you today's episode is Himalaya. As always, remember Himalaya is free. It's super easy to use. It has every single podcast you love or are searching for. Everything that you need there. You can obviously do some searching. You can. Follow certain shows and creators. You can like and comment. You can, you're can you going to have shareable playlists. So all of those things can all be downloaded with Himalaya on the App Store or Google Play Store. So don't forget to follow Lockdown Bucks once you're there. Also, a shout-out to Grip6 Belts. Today's show is brought to you by Grip6. Ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap. And it's a great Father's Day gift. Go to grip Six they have a special offer for you at grip6.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E. That is lock, L-O-C-K-E at grip Father's Day, just around the corner. Frank, how you doing, buddy?
1: Uh, I'm good. I was late getting to our mailbag podcast tonight. I, coming back from dinner, was really hoping that that meant that you had taken uh, advantage of that time to pull together everybody's excellent questions that they tweeted at us at locked on bucks. Uh, but you did not. So, uh, I just spent another, another 15 minutes doing that. Um, although in fairness, uh, you do all the legwork on this show. So I guess this is like the one random thing that I, that I do, uh, (laughs) is, is I open up our Google doc and copy paste, uh, tweets, (laughs) and organize them by topic area. I'm, uh, I'm
0: very happy you did it. I do always you know. appreciate the work that you put in uh, on compiling the, the mailbag list. It's something that uh, I just, I don't even know that I would do. I would just... You don't care rep- about our listeners. That's just, that's just the just no, reality. No, 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 no. I don't care about grouping the questions together. I would just be okay with randomly hitting multiple questions multiple times like it'd be totally fine but uh this does actually help make this podcast flow a little bit better so let's get to it we're going to do a mailbag it should take up the next 3 days uh so that I means wednesday thursday friday that will be what you're getting is mailbag content uh so hopefully you enjoy it um but this will all be recorded on tuesday night it is 9:50 currently on tuesday night um, the biggest news of the day, and it will end up being our first question, is Taylor Jenkins being hired as the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. And I don't know that either of us are totally shocked by that. Like we, I think we, we had both heard some whispers that it was possible, um, but Taylor Jenkins gets hired and. John dozel on Twitter at J-O-H-N-D-O-E-L-Z-E asks, it's probably impossible to measure how much an assistant, co- how much assistant coach turnover impacts a team's performance, but how much do you think it matters generally? And I, so here's what I would kind of say is I think it can matter when assistant coaches are tasked with uh, certain Sides of the ball, like if you have like a real defensive specialist, that's your lead assistant, and then they go somewhere else. Uh, like you think of t- Tom Thibodeau, um, Ron Adams. I mean, even in, in like the Bucks case under Jason Kidd, like <laughs> granted by the end of it, like you wouldn't <laughs> have wanted Sean Sweeney, but like Sean Sweeney ran the defense. Like it, there are actual situations where assistant coaches are tasked with one side of the basketball. Like that is a thing that happens throughout the league. Um, so I think in those situations it matters. Um, I mean, I think you look at the the Rockets, Jeff Vestelic, not having him for a while and then bringing him back this year. Like I think all of those things do matter when you have an assistant coach in those positions, the bucks are not like that. Uh, Mike Boonholzer is in charge of everything tactically. Uh, that, that's what he obsesses over is how they're going to get better every single day on each side of the basketball and, the ways to do that so that's that's kind of his focus um while he you know he lets the the other assistants do more of the player development stuff and things like that so um I I think for the Bucks I don't I don't want to say it won't matter I think anytime you you lose someone talented enough to be a head coach somewhere else that can hurt but obviously Bud has dealt with this before he's lost Quinn Snyder from his bench he's lost uh, Kenny Atkinson from his bench before. So um, I think it's something that he's he's more than equipped and ready to handle.
1: Yeah, I think those are, are really good examples, you know, of, of Bud specifically um, losing guys. Now, granted, you would also look at Atlanta and it's not like, you know, the Hawks were the Spurs in terms of just uh, sustained greatness, <laughs> so, um, you know, like, there obviously yeah. was also a downward trend in, in the team's overall performance, um, but, you know, I think, again, like, it's uh, a testament to really good coaches that, you know, like, Bud himself came from the pop tree, um, you know, if if you have good assistants and they get jobs elsewhere and succeed, that's, I'd say, a great statement about, uh, about the coach, right, and kind of what, what they stand for and, And everything else and the sustainability of (coughs) excuse me of uh of kind of what they're doing so um so yeah i mean again like what will taylor jenkins departure mean for the bucks who knows right i mean it's difficult to really for us to kind of guess at that um you 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 i guess up to this point you wrote the definitive taylor jenkins piece on the (laughs) internet right i mean i don't know if you you have any access to your uh your stories, uh, traffic on the athletic, obviously you're not really a, a, a hit driven site. Um, but, uh, certainly I'm sure you were getting a lot of traffic on the Taylor Jenkins piece he wrote during the playoffs about his, uh, I mean, it wasn't just about it, but you, you, uh, took a, a humorous tack with, uh, his role as the designated, uh, brawl stopper, uh, you know, jumping out as people may recall and making sure players didn't leave the bench during not even actual brawls, but literally anytime there was any hint, of uh of maybe a dust up on the court um but uh yeah so again that's probably what he was most famous for (laughs) before getting hired by the grizzlies but as you said i mean we we've heard last week that he had gotten a second interview which obviously is uh tends to be a sign that things are going in the right direction so obviously just say congratulations to him and uh hope he does well and i think that'll say a lot about uh about the bucks and mike budenholzer and kind of what they're building and it will say even more if they can weather the departure of a good assistant and keep doing what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and I know I had a couple people on Twitter ask like, "Oh, like I thought Darvin Ham was the lead assistant. Why not him?" And um, I will say, like, kind of just talking with both and talking with people, um, I think there's a little bit of uh, like a former player stank on Darvin Ham, and what I mean by that is like. A lot of the times, if you're not a point guard, people wonder if you can coach in the NBA, which I don't. It's it's a thing. I don't know why it's a thing, but if you look at a lot of the former players that end up in coaches, like you have a bunch of point guards, like you, you maybe have some like shooters, but a lot of the times like big men aren't really seen as guys that can be coaches. And um, with Darwin, when he gets mentioned, it's oh, uh, you know, the former high energy dunking big man instead of like oh you know the guy that the hammer play is named after because he was smart enough to be able to throw that pass like that there's some of that so i I think it'll be interesting to watch going forward and and i guess probably next summer to see what kind of interviews and you know what kind of interest darvin starts to draw as well so we'll kind of see there but uh all right that is some some coaching questions right there um, all right, let's go to cap questions. Uh, we will start it off with at the spang over Muppet Babies thirty one. Shout out to Frank. Uh,
1: Shout out to Muppet Babies.
0: Woo! <laughs> um, with the Crab to Atlanta trade setting this year's precedent for value of a bad contract trade, doesn't it seem even more far fetched? A Snell salary dump is impossible. Crabs' one-year $18 million deal cost them two firsts and a rotational player. And um, first off, I, I always want it to be very clear that one trade does not oppress Vincent. That is that is something I think we should learn over the years, that that is, that is not how this works, that different teams are going to value different things. Um, the other thing I would like to say is I think calling Torian Prince a rotational player is probably nice. Um, I'm not sure that he is. I, I think there's some interesting things about him, but eh, not 100% sure on that. Um, but yes, uh, you know, that I, I think that does factor in. But um, I guess, what do you think? I, I think it is a, a little bit far fetched to think that Snell in 30, uh, the pick that the Bucks have this year gets that done on draft night uh allows you to to dump that salary, but maybe maybe we disagree on this what do you think
1: yeah i mean it's um it was an interesting deal i mean I'll say this, so presumably obviously the nets shopped uh, a crab a salary dump uh far and wide right so if there were other teams that were willing to eat you know eighteen million in uh, salary next year um most likely, uh, they would have found a better deal if there was one to be had. So I think as far as, you know, you're right. Like, again, like it's easy to kind of fall into the trap of like, you know, one, one deal appears to set a value of this for a certain type of player or like a pick doesn't necessarily mean that a week later, the same rules will hold. Um, but likewise, this presumably was the best deal. I mean, I, for Sean Marks, I would hope, as the Brooklyn GM, this was the best deal he could have gotten. You know, presumably he shopped it around. So, if you were trying to shop Tony Snell in two years, and you know whatever it is twenty three million or so uh, left on his contract, presumably you're not going to find a better deal uh, out there right now. But every player is different as well. Um, you know, Crab and, and Snell probably aren't obviously that different of players in the grand scheme of you know the NBA. So that there's natural sort of comparisons to make there. Um, other factors, too. I mean. 18 million, even though crab is, it's an expiring salary. So, I mean, obviously it's more appealing that it's at its expiring next year versus spread out over two years. Um, but trading for 18 million, absorbing that amount is more challenging than absorbing, you know, 11 or 12 million. So, I mean, that, that also matters. Um, and then there's the Torian Prince side of this, which is very complicated because I think Torian Prince is kind of like an eye of the beholder type guy. Um, I think in his second year I would have, looked at Prince as a guy who I thought had a really interesting future. And then seemed like he kind of quickly morphed into like, eh, they're not that excited about him and what's his, you know, long-term role there and and all that. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, um, (laughs) I, I, I would definitely not say that you could break this trade down into crab for a first and Torian Prince for a first, um, that's again, as you're alluding to, probably a little too charitable to Torian Prince and his value at this point. Um, but again, I think especially with the Bucks having the <laughs> being too good to have a first round, a good first round pick at this point, being at 30, that also just makes things a lot more complicated as far as you know extracting value um, from from that pick. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I would say to, to answer Muppet Baby's question, um, yes, a, uh, a, a Tony Snell salary dump um, would appear certainly not very likely right now. I mean, again, it was probably always going to be challenging, especially when you're armed with just the 30th pick and you've got very basically no other future picks that you can really throw into the deal at this point. Um, but uh, again, you never know what might happen. Um, but I would say, yeah, I don't expect Tony Snell. I, I would at this point be probably pretty surprised if Tony Snell got moved and um, I think I think an Urson move of some sort is probably just more likely just cuz he's a shorter term deal and um you know again cheaper. So um that would be my kind of speculation but uh obviously doesn't mean the Bucks aren't going to try to to see what's out there for Snell which makes a lot of sense given the depth uh on the wing that they have.
0: All right. Um I was trying to think if there was another cap question around. I think that was maybe it um so let's move on to performance. There's two kind of related questions. Uh, second question from John Dozel. Um Do we have enough sample size of playoff bloods? So now at least to consider trading him when eligible. Um, quick note for that, that is not until September. He is not eligible to be traded until September uh, for anyone curious. And it would have to be a major regular season downgrade, but almost anyone would be a playoff upgrade over him at this point. That's probably a little bit harsh. Or do you just have to hope he improves? Uh, Charlie Saturday asked, why does it feel like we fans and media pick and choose when playoff sample size is important and when it's not, i.e. don't sweat Bledsoe's performance in 18 until it happens again. George Hill is now crucially key. Miritich is now completely expendable. Um, I mean, I think it's it's an interesting idea. I would like to point out, um, as we talked about Eric Bledsoe being the second most important player, um, I did bring up the fact that he was bad in the playoffs last year and that I still had concerns about him being bad in the playoffs this year. So like, I don't, I don't think that that was totally wiped away. Um, and why, why it happens, I think is, uh, I think we're deeply flawed as evaluators, all of us, right? Like, there's a whole lot of bias in all of this. Like, there's a reason why people shit on Chris Middleton all the time because they don't like Chris Middleton that much. Like, (laughs) like, are you know what I mean? Like this shit, like it's like we want it to be more difficult and like there's some grand idea behind it, but it's not. Like, people have biases and those biases affect the way that. People talk about certain players. Like We we struggle at times to value defense, which is why I think Chris Middleton is almost always undervalued and why I think maybe Eric Bledsoe's playoffs are getting a little bit rougher wrapped than they deserve because he still uh, was quite good defensively throughout most of the playoffs. Uh, he struggled against the Raptors defensively. Lowry had his way with him. Uh, and then obviously on offense he wasn't very good there either. But, I mean, I, I don't think there's – any sort of any sort of great reason behind the seemingly inherent flaws in evaluation from fans and media like I I I can't find a reason behind
1: it yeah, I mean I think we alluded to this last week maybe the idea of you know, would you rather have a player who seems like he should be fine in the playoffs like there's there's nothing like inherently kind of matchup driven why he wouldn't be able to perform at a, at his normal level which i think is where bloodso fits in you know again bloodso not being a lights out shooter obviously that's you know you would always rather have a guy who could shoot better all things being equal um but if eric bloodso shot you know 34 35% in the playoffs like he did in the regular season well, the Bucks would probably be in the finals and maybe may be close to an NBA championship right now. Um, so it's sort of interesting to kind of say, like, do you, like, would you rather have sort of like a player who may have some, like, fundamental, like, playoff flaws, like the whole, like, maybe they're just not 16-game player types, um, you know, like guys who are, like, just uh, liabilities defensively, players like that, right? Um, or would you rather have a guy who seems like he should be malleable and able to play against different matchups and able to be successful in the playoffs um, but for some reason like seems to have like some sort of you know mental breakdown or psychological whatever and you know I, I don't know I mean I'm, I'm not a psychologist right I can't tell you you know with with Bledsoe I mean I think last year you know the way he was like, especially like the the quote unquote feud with Terry Rozier and just kind of the, I don't know, like the the post game talk and stuff was clearly suggested that that all that stuff was getting to him. Um, this year, it didn't seem like that was the same the same case. Um, it just seemed like he just didn't shoot didn't shoot well, and it did seem like at various times, even against the Raptors. I mean, you know, he had um, a pretty big game five um he had uh games when he didn't score well against boston where he still was like distributing and being aggressive um so i mean again there's other things he can do even if he's not shooting well but but yeah i mean obviously in the nba like you know if you're playing teams at the highest level and you know your point guard just stops you know the jump shots it's a problem um and so i i I would agree i mean i think and also in the sense that i don't think you know it was overlooked i mean i think we talked about when the the extension happened that obviously probably the biggest question was you know okay you're giving blood so that deal before you see him in the playoffs which we kind of kind of figured was was what the bucks probably really wanted to see and base their decision whether or not to kind of you know commit long term to him on that but you know they had the level of comfort that they didn't didn't feel like they needed that so um I agree. And I think, I so I think Charlie's broader point was not just to, to shit on blood. So I think, you know, the idea of um, playoffs being, in, you know, we, we I always bring this up that playoff series and even the playoffs overall, it's an inherently small sample size. And it's always very dangerous to, you know, make any broad conclusions on small samples. Um, and that swings both ways. And so I think it's, you know, an interesting, you know, an interesting thing to not just bring up blood but to bring up you know george hill as well as um uh nico because as we were saying i mean a year ago nico was like a playoff you know x factor and had some really huge performances for new orleans and you know now he's you know a guy who didn't even get off the bench in in you know deciding game and I think for me the it's not so much that like that proved anything about Miritich's value I think um Charlie's 100% right like it'd be wrong to suddenly think that like suddenly you know Miritich isn't good or can't play in the playoffs or something like that um I think a lot of it just to me is like just what an awkward way to go into the offseason you know like um he obviously was not you know we've talked about why he Miritich wouldn't be kind of the obvious, you know, priority for the bucks, which I think we'll get into in some of these other questions, just, you know, again, based on when he came to the team and, you know, some of the redundancy in his position with other guys on the roster, including obviously Giannis being, you know, mainly a four and Miritich being, you know, not the easiest guy to necessarily play with I mean, you can for sure. Um, But, you know, again, not as complimentary to Giannis uh, from a defensive standpoint, obviously like, like some other guys. Um, So I think there is certainly that danger in, in kind of, you know, just taking a few games and saying like, okay, now that guy like is trash or whatever, or in George Hill's case, that that guy is now suddenly great. Right. Because, you know, again, I think, you know, there's a maybe a little, a lot of evidence now that, that a lot of guys maybe have not looked very good against uh, playing with LeBron the past few years. Um, but, you know, George Hill couldn't shoot during the regular season for the Bucks either this year. And uh, so him, yeah, exactly. In his age, right? You know, I mean, it's just kind of a hard.
0: But how um, much do you want to pay, George Hill? Right. Like I haven't heard someone say he, yeah. they want to pay him ten million dollars yeah. next year. Like I've heard people say, "Hey, it'd be pretty nice to keep that guy for like five million next year." Like a mid-level exception. Like I don't think, I don't think anyone has gone, or at least anyone that I've seen in my feed. May, maybe there are people. Like I haven't seen people go up and beyond that. And for me, it was just like, well. During the year, I thought George Hill was incredibly useful despite not hitting shots because of his versatility defense, his uh, ability to at least theoretically stretch floor. Even though he wasn't shooting well, like he still did have gravity uh, at the three-point line. So I was like, okay, I think those things are valuable in a backup point guard. And when it came to the playoffs, he performed well. And to me, it confirmed what I already thought of him, but it didn't make me think at this point in his career he's uh, he's not expendable or the Bucks have to sign him. I just think if he found his way in Milwaukee and he refers to it as basketball heaven, as he did in his exit interview, uh, and he likes being around Bud, and Bud likes having him as a backup point guard and there's a chance that you get a good deal, yeah, then that, that I'm very in on George Hill. And with Miritich, I think... I, I thought he was a little bit better defender than he appeared to be. And Bud did not do him any favors by playing him with Urson regularly during the regular season. And I will be the first to admit that. Um, but I, I mean, I think we've seen with Mirtich that throughout his career, like he's a streak shooter and when the streak shooters not all that hot and he's also not, playing the best defense is he worth 10 plus million dollars in a year so to me like i i understand the question and understand you know maybe the confirmation bias that we're using and using a playoff sample to prove what we may want to prove but i also at the same time don't think uh any of these conversations are happening without the context of their contracts right like i'm i'm a lot less interested in nikola mirtich after seeing him for what he did this year with the Bucks and for that playoff uh stretch for over ten million dollars a year. Like that that to me is not all that interesting. Now, if because of his playoffs he has a cold market and the Bucs can get him back for below that number, okay. I'm into it. Like I, I think that could be something. So um I think it's it's a little unfair and again, like i I'm not gonna say that I haven't mentioned the idea of just renouncing Nikola Miritich. Like I have done that on this podcast. Um, but I still think like it, because of the money, all of those guys, literally all three of those guys are making. Like, I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of how these contracts or the, these conversations occur, like contracts get into people's minds and then you see a playoff performance and then you add it all up. And then all of a sudden you're at a spot where maybe you're not, Uh, Having the most objective analysis of those guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, again, like you know, you zoom out, like to what kind of player is this? What's their broader track record? And you know, does you know a bad playoff series like really fit with kind of the broader arc of what we've seen from them? And I think with Bloodso, obviously, the concern is that he hadn't really played in playoffs in any sort of meaningful way before last year, and so now it's like he's basically had you know one good series out of four, basically. Um, so that, I think, absolutely, that that, that should be a concern. Um, and again, it's a little irrelevant at this point, I think, because you're, you know, you kind of the dice cast with blood. So you're going to kind of go into the regular season, obviously, with him as your starting point guard. And, you know, who knows? I'm not saying that there isn't some world where, you know, you look to deal him next year at the trade deadline or something. I don't know, right? But um, obviously, especially with Hill potentially leaving or, um you know having to be resigned for a lesser amount or replaced for a lesser amount um you don't necessarily have a lot of you know a lot of flexibility to just you know dump dump air blood so salary or something like that next year so um you know and i think hill hill definitely made a lot of sense for the bucks on paper given you know brogdon is not a pure point guard Bledsoe is not a great shooter Uh, and obviously just the premium you have on having kind of versatile defenders in the backcourt. I mean, he'll obviously fits really well with that. Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, anyway, we've probably talked way too much about this, but I think it's a really good question from Charlie. Uh, And, you know, I think it is good to sort of question, you know, whether it's those guys or people who, you know, don't want to pay Chris Middleton X million dollars because he didn't make enough shots against the Raptors or whatever. Right. I mean, it's like, okay is that you know like that i wouldn't want to do anything roster wise based on what happened against the raptors alone um but obviously that was also important because you know the raptors here as we sit uh before game six um they are still the favorites to win the nba championship so that's a pretty good measuring stick uh and obviously you know the measuring stick is not how do you get first round uh playoff or first round home court advantage in the playoffs anymore it's you know how do you compete at the highest level so Everything everything matters, but also, you know, realize that that we're also inherently going to be talking about small samples when
0: we talk about the playoffs. All right, um, we're going to keep it rolling. Uh, But before we do, big shout out to Hotels.com. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere hotels.com be there do that get rewarded and we'll keep it moving with kind of some I, some questions about performance and um, how we kind of view those things uh, at NBO hunk 77 uh, Nick Hatfield asks, what area do you see the bucks best chance of improvement to take the next step and in getting into the NBA Finals with the understanding that most if not all of the team is returning. For me, I mean, I think, man, I don't. There's not a lot of weaknesses on this team. Uh, th- there's really not a lot there for me to to question and and kind of think through. Um, I mean, I think Giannis gets a little bit better. Um, I don't know. I, I think that the best chance of improvement. I mean, maybe they have a of a a slightly switchier defense next season. Uh, If DJ is DJ Wilson is in one of those spots instead of Nikola or or Sonny De Silva. Um, I I don't know. Do do you have any good, Great thoughts on this one. This is, to me, a a difficult question because I don't see this team having a whole lot of weaknesses.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think statistically, if you looked at things that were, I mean, a lot of things obviously went in the right direction, (laughs) obviously, went in the right direction this year, just in terms of player performance. Um, And we've talked at length about, especially, you know, the bud effect on the role players that we saw this year. Um, That said, I mean, I think if you just look at some things that weren't maybe as good as they were in the past that that are still have room for improvement. I think for Giannis certainly, you know, his shooting from 3, his shooting from the free throw line, his turnovers, uh, I think those are areas that, you know, we we could see certainly improvement from um from next season just in terms of Giannis's game. Uh and then I think, you know, it, it's interesting for a team that really saw their three-point shooting explode this year um you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, intuitively, I, I have no data to back this up, but I would think that, um, you know, like Chris Middleton in particular started taking a lot more pull-up threes this year, a lot more ISO threes this year. His, his assist rate on threes went from like 90% to 60%. Um, and the weird part is like he actually was really good at pull-up threes this year. I mean, I think we can all like picture him kind of like shooting those on the move a little bit like where he's sort of drifting forward and hitting threes like off the dribble and he got really good at those um, but Middleton was not great shooting spot up threes relatively speaking I think he was like in the mid-30s or something like that which is not great for, by his standards um, Bledsoe went from a 40% catch and shoot guy last year and I think he was like 37% of the year before to like 28 29% last year um, and so it's all kind of it's a little bit weird right because you would think that you know, those are the shots that in Bud's offense you're going to get more of and they're going to be more open and, you know, like, oh, you're going to be able to get lots of open threes, so you're going to punish teams that way. But I mean, that was kind of the irony is that the Bucks. you know, how often when the Bucks struggled or maybe didn't play as well as we wanted, it was like, well, they just – they just for really extended periods would not hit open threes at a high clip, right? They'd shoot like low thirties or something we saw in the playoffs too, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Low thirties on open threes, so that's kind of a, something that is more than just like a single player issue. That um, I don't, I don't know if there's a an easy explanation for that. I mean, obviously you have a number of guys who shoot really far out three pointers, so like a Nico catch and shoot three is different from like a Malcolm Brogdon catch and shoot three. Cause like one of those guys is only shooting when he's wide open and the other guy's gunning when, you know, he's has, you know, basically air breathing through his lungs. Um, so I, I think that's an interesting thing to watch for. I and mean, with the bucks shooting, just letting it fly as they did, um, you know, it's interesting. Cause like, I think we saw that maybe they don't have the pure shooters to kind of fully maximize that type of approach. Um, they're more of a, you know, you know quantity rather than quality type team as as three point shooters um so i think that'll be interesting to see with a number of key guys i mean Giannis obviously we always talk about his three point shooting but even some of these other guys with their catch and shoot stuff does that improve you know maybe we see their uh, off the dribble jump shooting um regress a little bit like Bledsoe was much better this year chris was much better this year maybe those things kind of reverse a little bit so maybe the the net effect isn't huge um but that might be one thing um you know (sighs) I'm really curious if, you know, assuming Brooke Lopez is back, do they try to get him more in, like when Giannis is on the bench, do they try to play, put shooters around Brooke and get him some more touches, getting going towards the basket? And again, it doesn't necessarily have to be post-ups, but rim running, which we saw more of as the season went on, like not just picking pops and picking rolls from him. Um, I think that might be a way to kind of leverage a guy who obviously is really talented offensively more than they did um, this past season. And yeah, I think as you pointed out defensively, yeah, I mean, you know, DJ certainly. If you swap in DJ for either Nico or or, or son or both, um, obviously that gives you a certain degree of mobility on the defensive end that you don't otherwise have. Um, so we'll see. I, and again, I think a lot of this season was about setting up sort of the principles and the base of a defense and an offense. So I think you know, offensively, we obviously. <laughs> weren't thrilled with what we saw from them uh, in that Toronto series. Uh, I think it's been kind of encouraging in a way that like golden state hasn't necessarily had the easiest time scoring against the Raptors either. Um, So again, it's not just the bucks, but um, you know, I think maybe if the bucks do kind of, graduate to the next level of you know being able to mix in more different things now that they're in year two offensively and i think you could say the same thing defensively just you know get more comfortable kind of throwing different looks at teams defensively whereas especially the first half of the season it was so much more about just you know do your get good at, at, at your base defense don't worry about matchups as much whatever i think we saw that change a fair bit as the season went on so um so i don't know i feel like that i've i've just uh, brain-dumped enough on, on that question, but it's definitely an interesting one because, um, you know, as as Nick pointed out, I mean, it's, you know, the internal improvement's going to be how this team gets better. It's not going to be by, you know, signing a big free agent and, and unless something really dramatically changes.
0: I think the the one thing I've been really interested with, and obviously um, this kind of goes back to the article I had with Giannis, like him talking about how he has to have like different things that he can go to when things go wrong. And I just think in general, that's what the whole team needs, right? Like it can't just be Giannis gets to the rim or Giannis kicks it out. Like there's gotta be something a little bit more there. And I'm, I'm really curious, you know, like I've heard some people when they're talking about the Raptors mention the fact that uh, two years ago, Nick nurse was a huge part of redoing the offense. And you know, putting those systems in place. And we heard the, the stories about, what is it? The pickup games where a long two was a negative one, if you made it and like, all or, you know what I mean? Like we heard all that stuff and that very much felt like what the bucks were doing this year, like with putting the system in. And then as you've heard some people tell it this year, like, okay, Nick nurse was willing to experiment with some stuff during the regular season, offensively and defensively. And Again, I don't. I didn't watch the Raptors every night, so I don't know if that's actually true. That is something that's like being tossed around by people. And I do want, like, to me that is one of the ways that the Bucks get better is that okay during the regular season you try some different stuff and you figure out some different stuff so that once you get to the postseason you're ready. And I'm curious how you try to find that balance because I mean, having Giannis dunk on MFers and uh having him kick out for threes like that's something you need practice at as well like you just mentioned the fact that they weren't always so great on kick out threes so how do you get better at those and like just finding the the middle ground between trying new things out and still being very good at what you're doing like i think that that is going to be really interesting to me next year because I think it's a tough thing to try to find a balance on. So um, we'll have to kind of watch that and see what happens there. All right. Um, Brian Hart, Brian Harmon has at uh, B harms with a Z on Twitter has a couple questions for us. Um, I'm just going to throw them all out there and we can kind of figure out how to answer them. Has anticipation and optimism ever been higher for the Bucks next season Outside of making and winning the finals, could we have expected more from an enjoyment level as a fan this year? Where does Horst rank as a GM? Um, I mean, I I think the first two questions, has anticipation, optimism ever been higher for the Bucks in a season? Uh, 2002. Now this, I can only speak to when I was 11. I would say 2002. I think everyone was very optimistic about, or I should say the 2001-2002 season everyone was very optimistic of what could happen that year they were very optimistic about where that team could go and obviously that didn't work out and then you know outside of making it win the finals could good bucks fans have expected more from an enjoyment level as fan no I, I, the the team wasn't just winning games they were killing teams uh they have a, a lovable superstar who really i don't know if people or have started to pick at the warts that he has quite yet, uh, maybe a little bit during the playoffs it started, but for the most part, everyone just kind of loves him, and he's great, and I think going around the roster, you just have a bunch of, like, even Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe guys that don't have big personalities, like, they gave you the Bledsoe-Middleton dunk contest throughout the year, which everyone enjoyed and had a good time with, even though, you know, like, there wasn't a lot to it. There was that. Brooke Lopez is just generally a fun human to have around. Like Malcolm Brogdon is a good person to have around the stuff that he does in the community. Uh, George Hill, shotgun beers. Why not? Um, like you just go down the roster. Pat Connaughton getting random dunks. Nikola Mirotic shooting deep threes In generally just being enjoyable. I, like There's just up and down the roster. I think it would be tough to figure out a way that – fans could have enjoyed a season much more than the one that they just had.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I I was, I think what I was 20 going into the 2001 Oh two season. I mean, after losing to the Sixers, obviously there was a lot of hope that, you know, they were on the cusp of getting back there. And then the Anthony Mason move, you know, which at the time, and now it's kind of painful to look back at as like, Oh, that was going to be the thing that puts us over the top. Um, but it's also a little quaint to look back at now because it's like, I mean, God bless Ray Allen and Glenn Robinson and Sam Gasell, I mean, none of those dudes are on the same, like, planet as as Giannis, right? I mean, especially <laughs> yeah. when you're thinking about, like, going up against the Lakers with, with Shaq and Kobe. Um, I mean, and and again, I was very young at the time. I'm not saying I had the same perspective on the sport, but I really didn't think the Bucks like, when they were making that run in in a one I— I wasn't thinking that the bucks were actually going to like beat the Lakers in the finals. Right. (laughs) And this year I actually felt like. Yeah. Bucks going to win the whole damn championship. Like that's gotta be the goal. It's going to be disappointing if they don't. Um, So I I think even relative to. To 2001, I think the, you know, there should be more optimism now than there was then. And, um, you know, I think again, the, the fact that that team fell apart so quickly, I think just kind of speaks volumes about, you know, Exactly what the talent level was. And especially with, you know, a coach like George Carl, who was obviously more combustible and uh, liable to wear out his welcome, you know, obviously, unfortunately all that, that happened. So, um, so yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, this is, I think the, the team, certainly in my lifetime since, sorry, I, I started following the team in the early nineties, absolutely the most, um, this will be the most anticipated season ever from the Bucks. you know, from the team, from, from a player, you know, I mean, Giannis will be the MVP going into yeah. next season. I mean, you know it doesn't you know you're an mvp and you still have upside to get better i mean that's tough to really um expect much more than that um so so yeah i mean again i think it's just you know as, as frustrating as it was to see them go up two zero and then something you know, and then just lose four straight um you know hopefully people can can look back on the season for what it was and and all the terrific you know enjoyable times that that came along with it and as you said i mean you know, it was like playing with house money in a lot of ways because it was unexpected and the stories were all positive and, you know, there wasn't... There was skepticism, but only because the Bucks hadn't done it before. It wasn't, like, skepticism of, like, these guys are losers who have disappointed year after year and, you know, break them up, right? Like, that that's a whole... whole <laughs> that comes for every team at some point, um, unless you win a championship. Um, hopefully it doesn't happen to the Bucks, but, uh, you know, it's tough. And as far as where does horse rank as GM... Man, it's really hard to to judge a guy at this point. I mean, he's coming off obviously a great season this past year. Um, Somewhere in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: I can't. I have no. idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say this. Like, I, I think what we've seen enough to. I think I'd say like I trust that they will make. Man, again, like dangerous to say this, right? Um, using the word trust around the Bucks is always a uh, you know very um challenging thing for me to do but um i think they have earned you know the trust of the fan base as far as the personnel moves they've made especially over the last year in building this team around Giannis. and so until they screw that up you know i will um i will expect them to make good moves right i mean which is different from (laughs) maybe the way we viewed things previously so uh i think again especially a gm job Given the nature of a G- of what GMs do, like it, it's a fundamentally you you get graded on, you know, your five year plan, not your like, could you kind of wham bam, thank you, ma'am, something in a, in a year typically. Um, but again, that's also obviously a testament to the fact that they, you know, got this team to where, you know, they could actually be a legitimate win now type, have that legitimate win now type mindset. And now, now the challenge is how do you balance that with, you know, trying to build a long-term contender around Giannis and not just, you know, a team that's going to have a chance this year or next year, but, but actually be, be around for the long haul. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, again, Horst, I don't want to say incomplete because that makes it sound like, you know, uh, he's done something really wrong or like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, but it's, let, let's see. Right. I mean, I think the extension was well-deserved. Um, But we need to see more from the franchise in general, right? And that's not just the front office before we, you know, say, oh, we've got the Spurs, Spurs North, you know, Um, that that's fundamentally something you kind of have to earn over a long period.